Welcome to the Joy of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James Taylor. On this podcast, we explore the passion and purpose of leadership. And we do so by talking with recognized leaders who do not merely have jobs, but men and women who have been called to their chosen sphere of influence. Okay, hey, it is great to have Kevin Myers, uh, the big dog over at 12 Stone, founder and uh, and just doing amazing things for the Lord. Of big Earth. dog. The big dog. Ooh, I like that. I don't know that that's ever been used. Okay, good. Yeah, well, I'm only 5'8". Like <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it is great to have you here, Kevin. It is great to have you here. Just uh, amazing to see what you're doing for the Lord in this region. I really am so eager to jump in on the story uh, and just here. Take me back to kind of the inception of the church. You're moving down for the purpose of starting this church. Solely. Take, take me back to kind of, can we press rewind and go all the way back there? And uh, tell me what that looks like. Tell, tell me how that evolves, how that takes place. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a kid. Some would call a punk kid. Uh, I think I was turning like 27 at the time. This okay. is 35 years ago. And we had a sense that God wanted us to plant a church in Gwinnett County, Georgia. It's a long story leading to that, but to cut to the chase, we sold everything. We said, well, if, if we're going to teach people how to follow Christ, we're going to have to do it all in. Okay. It's hard to lead people where you haven't gone. Okay. So to make asks of people or to lead people somewhere that you haven't gone first, and most of that's from the inside out. So it was really obvious to us that we needed to demonstrate that on our own so that was huge for us because michigan is our family we were both raised in michigan our families were on either side of the state felt like we were moving to another country right and we drove down we didn't know anybody Uh, so so and i've had some comments on the show from church planters and different people tell me the strategy i know you say it's a long story but but tell me like why do you pick Gwinnett county out of out of the whole nation to, to go why do you choose here is, is it driven by data is it driven by relationship that has potential like how, how does how does it happen for you to land here I, I wish I could tell you I was more strategic and wiser <laughs> and like oh man let me tell you for us there was a there was a God element that made the final decision but back when I was in high school my parents were divorced uh, my mom moved down to Gwinnett County and lived here for a couple years okay. with her sister. Okay. So while I was in college, by time she came down here, I was in college. And in the summers, I came to live with her and did construction work over in Peachtree Corners. Huh. And while I was here, God put some things in my soul that I didn't understand. You know, most things in life, you figure out looking back, right. not looking forward. Right. So you might get the dots looking forward, but you Absolutely. connect the dots looking back. You figure them out later. Right. So right. looking back, God was already knitting things together. And in our denominational circles, there was a, a district superintendent who kind of oversees the state. And I got connected with him and I attended the, the church that he was influencing. And all of that was a forerunner. But then I ended up in Michigan, and we were part of a church plant up there for five years. And by the time we got this stirring in our soul that you should go plant a church, we were willing to plant anywhere in mm. the U.S. So we just said, it's an open book. But this little stirring, at one point, I wrote in my journal, a little prayer journaling thing. Mm. I wrote in, because I felt stirred. And James, I didn't know what to do with this. I just wrote down, should it be Gwinnett County, Georgia? 
thought, well, what a strange thought. And I didn't do anything with it. I just said, well, if it should be, you'll tell me. We had plane tickets to fly to Arizona and go check some things out there. And we were going to go to several places in the U.S. And while we were praying and waiting and searching, uh, we got a phone call from a friend. We said, you know, there's a church planter who is going to go to Gwinnett County, Georgia, and it fell through. And we have resources and passion and fire for that. Are you guys familiar with Georgia at all? And have you ever heard Isn't of Gwinnett County? I kid you not. And you had literally lived there for it, a two-year period? I lived there two summers, did construction, and it was in my journal from about two to That's three months crazy. before. So when that happens, right. you know, make, somebody else may look at that and say, well, that, yeah, it's no big deal. But you know in your right. soul. All right, God just called yeah, us. Yeah, it's almost like yeah. God's in control. Yeah. And when we visited here, we, we drove down from Michigan. We said, let's confirm it. We drove down. We crossed the county line. My wife and I looked at each other and said, are you done? She said, I'm done. I said, I'm done. Isn't, like, I find that amazing how the Holy Spirit works. I know that we're three years in this, in this current ministry. I literally drove through the gates at the prompting of three different friends who told me about this place, Hebron Christian School. And I, I drove through the gates. I knew it when I drove through the gates. I called my wife and I said, hey, I think we're moving to a Hebron. It's in like Dracula or Dacula. Or Dacula. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and, I mean, I, and she looked it up you online. You were close. Yeah, she, she looked it up online. She's like, you know, I don't think I look very good in Burgundy. I'm not sure whether we, you know, but we joke. But I, listen, I knew it driving through the gates. It's just yeah. amazing how when you're walking in step with Christ that he's going to direct your path. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, I just always marvel at that to see, you know. Now, you brought, you, when you came, you came with a number of other couples, correct? Well, we, we had three other couples who were friends. One was a lay couple who decided, hey, we'll go with you. And they were at the Church of Michigan. Okay. And then we helped recruit a couple of other young couples who were in ministry, raised their own resources. And so eight of us awesome. um, started. And, and you just moved down to the foreign land of Georgia? We really, I didn't know it was foreign at the time. <laughs> I did not know. I didn't understand uh, the cultural right. barriers right. from north to south. Right. But Well, uh, and Georgia's changed a lot since even oh, since that point in time. Yeah. Georgia's, I mean, particularly this area, is yeah. such a metropolis now uh, that it wasn't at that point. It was not. You know, it was um, not. yeah, that's, inter- I've had a number of friends who talk about, com- you know, coming south. I grew up in Canada and, and raised in Canada. Uh, they call themselves halfbacks. Are you familiar with that? I they, am not. They go to Florida. They're like, ah, it's a little bit too old. They drive a little bit too slow in the left-hand lane. I'm going to go halfway back. So they like oh. land in South Carolina or North Carolina, halfbacks. Not a whole lot of Holy Spirit direction in that, I don't think. Yeah, no, that's but, not uh, a great journaling yeah. story. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, they do choose. All right, so you start in. What does it look like when you're first starting first starting this church? And it wasn't called 12 Stone at the time. It was no, called it was, Crossroads. Yeah, it's called Crossroads at the time. Okay. And we had this vision larger than our leadership and larger than our experience, which is always helpful because Mm -hmm. that will cause you to take risks and have courage that you have no reason to possess. And we had all sorts of vision and courage and belief. We did this door-to-door stuff to, if you don't have a church, what would you look for in a church? So some of those things influenced back in the day at that time, 35 years ago, that would have been normative to church planters. Right. There were no church planting institutes. You had to figure it out on your own. Right. So we literally just went door to door, covered hundreds of homes, eventually led a few people to Christ, got a core group of 25 people, rented a movie theater. That was popular back in the yeah, day. Sure. So rent a movie theater. And we called all these people, James, this is just awesome. We call all these people, 
on film. We're like, oh, telemarketing. That's the thing that's being sold. <laughs> if you could just get it. We, that's so silly today. I get that. People here and they're like, what is he talking about? The young guys sitting around here are like, what are you talking right, about? Right. Well, the only way to get to people was make a phone call and, and get them on the hard line and, you know, just the landline. And, and so we got, we called 20,000 people. We got youth groups to help us, etc. Oh we called 20,000 people, got 2,000 families' names on the, on the list. And then you do these mailer follow-ups. And according to that, You'll get, you'll get at least 10% of that coming. You'll get 200 people. Oh, James, we followed it up. We do all these phone calls. 800 people said they were coming on grand opening Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. So we rented a 460-ish seat theater. Man, we are going to blow this out. We are going <laughs> to set new <laughs> records. The Apostle Paul has nothing on us. No, right. no. He was probably, <laughs> he, he and the Holy Spirit were working to make this thing unfold. Oh, my gracious. On grand opening Sunday, we had a total of 104 people. No kidding. Of whom 65 were in the auditorium that seats 400 and Oh like my goodness! Sixty people. Can you can you say critical mass? Yeah. It was horrible. It echoed. It it was a complete unmitigated miss. <laughs> Do you remember what you preached on? No, because I was so full of fear. <laughs> I had just had I just taken the biggest risk in my life, right? And it was equaled by the size of my failure. Because I thought we would have 400 people. Yeah. And then the next Sunday, we'd have 200, and right. we would break the 200 barrier. And God was with us, and we were going to do what very few were doing at the time in church planting. Right. And what ended up happening is misjudged the whole thing, misjudged the culture. I didn't even understand Southern culture. Right. At that time, in the South, when people say, bless your heart, that was not a compliment. That's right. When people <laughs> say, I intend to visit, they don't mean it. Right. They just don't want the confrontation of your ask. Right. So I had no idea they didn't mean it when they said, we'll come. So I planned for them. They weren't coming. So the following Sunday, we had 50-some people, and we spent the next several years in the 50s. How do you, how do you overcome that emotion? I mean, because that, that is, pe- people don't fully grasp how personal. When you're, when you're doing pre, you know, church ministry, it's you. I mean, you are really and truly serving up yourself. I mean, it, it, and it does. I've... I've had guys who, who go through similar issues and I've chatted with, it's like a rejection of you, you know? How do you, how do you overcome that? Because a lot of guys don't. I mean, it's really, a lot, of, a lot of churches fail, never keep going, be, not just because they didn't reach critical mass, because they, they can't overcome criticism, you know? I don't think I knew going into it. I was way too young. Okay. I didn't realize going in how personal it was. Okay. But I will concede you, you couldn't be more accurate. That was, an, that was a personal arrest. Mm-hmm. Everybody was saying no to me. Right. I was, at that point, I wasn't even attaching it to Jesus. I had just been rejected. Right. I had just right. failed miserably. Tons of churches and people sacrificed for this church to launch. Right. And my report back is, we missed. And repeatedly thereafter... And you had people move down with you. I mean, that, there's so much weight. That's I, I listened to that story. I think, oh my goodness, you know, I know where you are now. Certainly, you never, you in your probably in your wildest imaginations, you couldn't have imagined where your church would grow to. No, not not after that Sunday. Right before that Sunday, I believed it, but fear gripped me. 
And I never understood how fear could own you and form you and become the new filter Mm -hmm. for any additional risk or obedience. I had so many private uh, issues with God. Maybe he doesn't love me. Mm -hmm. Maybe I didn't follow the right call. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Maybe he isn't going to use me. I made a mistake. By the way, let's let's go back to the calling thing. Mm-hmm. If he had not been as clear in the calling, I would have bailed. Right. I, so I, I say that to young leaders all the time. It, I, I know guys who are in ministry, and I, I bet you do too, Kevin, who they still have jobs. Like they, they really, they're, it's still their job. And if, if you don't replace your job with a calling, mm-hmm. it, you can't weather the hard times. You cannot. Th- th- those hard personal onslaughts, which you will go through, it's not, a, it's not an if, it's just a when. If you don't have a call, <laughs> you're not going to weather those storms. So you've got this call. T- tell me, you know, like, does the pressure of the gospel also weigh in on that with that idea of the call of just the spread of the gospel in that area? I know you're so gospel-driven. Yeah. Uh, was that the same element of the young Kevin Myers? It, it was, and we were there to reach people, right. and clearly I wasn't reaching people. So what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. If this isn't going to be effective, we, we had a, a 100, 405, whatever. On the first Sunday, three and a half years later, we have 82 people. So it's not like I was breaking right. through anytime quick. And I, I could not... I could not reconcile the call of God with the results of ministry. Mm. And I was caught in the middle. That's great. I think that God usually has to form something fresh in the leaders he trusts before he can do something powerful through them. Mm -hmm. I think part of our following him and part of spiritual leadership is we need breakthroughs before we can talk about them. We need to go deeper before we have any depth to offer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's formed by loss and fear and setback. And I think there was enough unhealthy in me that, I don't know, I don't even know if I should say that. Can I say it here? Can I just say anything? I discovered I thought God owed me something. Mm. I look back on it, and and it's so unhealthy. It's, it's, It's so immature, but... It was in me in a way, James, I did not understand. But I thought I had, I had honored him mm-hmm. so sincerely. Mm-hmm. I had sacrificed so much to follow. Right. And he bailed. He sent us to Georgia and didn't go with us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was chatting about this exact idea with a men's Bible study. I teach a men's Bible study on Friday mornings here. And I was chatting with the guys. I said, listen, when you are already pretty talented, if you have some relational skill that you're pretty good with with people, got a little bit of intellectual ability, I, I think so often, and I'm just telling you, the guy in my mirror, he has been guilty of this all too often. And I would love to tell you, and that's true of the 80s, but luckily in the, I mean, listen, it's true of December 2022. Like it is true yes. of right now yes. that, that where, where, where I'm still thinking it's still about me. Now I may, because of growing up in piety, you, you may be able to know how to speak the words to say I'm trusting in the Lord, but I know in my spirit when I'm not trusting in the Lord, when I'm still trusting in me. You know, and that's, that's such a challenge. Frankly, for me, 
Philippians 2.3 is my key verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in all things consider others before yourself. The reason I have that verse is, is frankly, because I'm bad at it. That, that I want to get to the point where I'm wholly reliant upon him. And, and that's kind of the right where you were at during that period. You were slugging it out three and a half years, 87 people in the, in the congregation. Tell me what keeps you going during that period of time. What, what keeps you pushing? And, and when does the breakthrough come? He, he successfully, if this was his goal, he successfully stripped us down to fresh dependence. Love that. Okay. So we had to... Hebrews chapter 11 messed with me. We came down here reading the first half of Hebrews 11. All the great things that people of faith right. accomplished right. by the power of God. You keep reading that passage, and then it goes to the list of people who were persecuted, who lived in caves, That's right. who lost large, whose names were not put in that chapter. You don't even know the names. Mm -hmm. It just does a paragraph or two of, and these people, my summary is, lost huge, and the world was not worthy of them. And they were still people of faith. Mm -hmm. And I realized I only had one interpretation of faith. First half of Hebrews. Sure. First success. half of Hebrews 11. Right. Success. Human I'm going to be David. I'm going to be right. fill in the blank. I'm going to be Moses. I'm going to be Abraham. Oh, God's going to do amazing things. I had, I had never read the second half. Right. <laughs> Right. You you just might have the full anointing and favor of God and you could be the one whose name right die in obscurity is not added you're just obscure. Mm. Ambiguity is your journey. And the only one who's applauding is Jesus. And if his applause right. is not enough and that should be enough. You're in trouble. Right. So the Lord spoke a few things into me in that season. One of them was I do not I do not owe you. I own you. Mm, yeah. When you surrendered, you surrendered to all of me and a future you do not know. So when you give me a yes, it's a yes. Mm -hmm. The second thing is he revealed that I wanted more. I wanted more from people than for people. And I didn't know that. I just, I just, I didn't know that ministry was more about me than it was them mm. to go back to your Philippians too. Mm. And somehow in my spirit over time, he was able to help me see that I was leveraging pastor for myself, mm. not the people. And I, I, I couldn't see it. So I didn't love the 82 people. I needed the 82 people to do things for me to, to get enough credibility. Was that really to reach people? Mm. Was that really to shepherd people? I mean, if I couldn't love the 82, would I love hun uh, 800? Right. Or 8,000. Or 8,000. Right. Does the number matter? And so I, I don't know. In that, I do know. If my identity was going to be equal to the size of the church, he couldn't entrust much to me. That's right. That's right. These are all... What a tough realization. These are all difficult deaths, and I'm doing this while I'm supposed to be speaking every Sunday. Right. And loving on people and figuring out how to reach. And Is that an internal monologue only, 
or how are you, I mean, because at this, I mean, one of the things that I, I frankly respect the most out of you is you aren't just a leader. You're also a leader of men. Like you, you understand the role of, of men in your church. So you've got guys who have brought their families down with you. How, are you training them in the same lesson or is that just living in your journal and you're staying the cheerleader, rah, rah, we can do this. Like, are you letting them in on, on that internal struggle? I, I was at the time incapable. Okay. Because I was so insecure and it was so personal that I feel like I failed them mm. and everybody who gave financially to see this thing launch. Mm. And I was trying to figure out how to maintain a persona that was positive. Right. With the soul that felt right. empty. Right. I felt very betrayed by God. That, that's something where I think a lot of people don't fully recognize in if you're in senior leadership, yes, but if you're in a role that is a public senior leader, so often we fulfill a role in people's life. Like it's really not Kevin, it's Pastor Myers or you go by PK, but it's, it's this role rather than the guy, like the internal struggle guy. And, and boy, I, I know that I'm sure I'm guilty of holding back on letting anyone see the, the inner struggle. You know, so I can totally and, and who relate wants to, to you. see it, James. Right. How many people really want to see your internal struggle? <laughs> they don't. Yeah, do they want to the know point. that you came right. through the gates at, at, at Hebron and you say, oh man, this is a great Christian <laughs> academy, and then you hit your barriers. Right. And you want to go share that, and everybody wants to right. know what you're battling. Right. I, it, everybody doesn't want to know. Right. But you do need to find a safe place to become whole mm -hmm. yeah. and to be authentic. Yeah. I didn't know how to do that right. in the day. Right. I was working really hard to keep a persona of positive mm -hmm. and faith. And then it emptied all week, and I tried to gear up for it the following Sunday right. and believe, oh, God's going to do something, right. and then live with the disappointment, if not near depression, mm -hmm. by Sunday afternoon, mm -hmm. and then go through that on Monday, Tuesday, and then rebuild and rebelieve the right. following. Frankly, I did that for three, four years. Right. And I, I think, I, you know, I've, I have definitely sh sheltered those eternal emotions. So, so much of the debate really isn't, it really is between me and the Lord or mm -hmm. you and the Lord. I, I know that one thing that, that, that I have seen through the years is that my engagement with God is different than it was when I was in my 20s. That if you read every margin of my Bible, I tend to write and highlight and my Bible is always just a mess. Uh but I, I tend to go, th and, and some of those comments are very real. Like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, it's almost like a like a hidden journal. You know, like, mm -hmm. I really wouldn't want a lot of people right, reading every wouldn't. marginal comment that yeah. I make in my Bible. Because the Lord and I are engaging over things. Like, we're really questioning. We're finding out, and I need to know. Uh, and sometimes just challenging them about, about me and about and about a ministry. Things that I thought should have turned out that they didn't. And sometimes I'll be frustrated and angry. When I was a new believer, I didn't think that was possible. But now, like that relationship is very living. Like it's it's very much that that I get to communicate with him, you know. Uh, and going through a hard time like what you're what you're talking about, you have to develop that, you know. Now it also doesn't mean we don't stop working hard, you know. That you're doing these mail pieces and you're doing these phone call pieces. Oh, yeah. All of that looks like sweat labor, and and it doesn't mean we stop doing all the things. But we have to, for me, there's an internal shift that I say, okay, I've done all the hard work. Thank goodness God has me. It's about me. Rather than saying, okay, I've faithfully done the work, and but I truly know that he's the one who brings the increase. And so if people show up, it's because of him. 
I'm going to still do the work because that's what he's called me to do, but I'm not going to claim this. It's, I know this isn't me. If, if no one comes, then that happens. But if, if people show up, it's because he allowed them to show up, you know, and, and that breakthrough that you're describing where you almost have to go through layers of delusionment mm -hmm. to get deep. Right. I don't know who can go deep without some disillusionment. Right. Some disappointment where it's really self-discovery by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal you to you. Mm -hmm. What is true about God, but you don't know how to walk in that. Right. What have you said you, you yield to God, but has not yet been right. yielded? Right. What have, have you yet you? to grow through? So there's some disillusionment in that to go deep. And then you do it again and again, and you cycle in this, and you, you know we've lived long enough to know right. that that's, right. that's a legitimate cycle. But that dependence means that I work as hard for the Lord when it's not working as when it is working. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. So it doesn't matter because the demonstration of dependence yes. is that I work for him and the results are his. That's right. And that is a breakthrough on the inside for me right. that has never been just solved. I've had to cycle it, in that right. again and again and, and again, and really getting a day off and putting a calendar to my life where I would limit it mm -hmm. so that once every seven days I would cease striving because I'd be a workaholic, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I yeah. just, hey, then let's go make it happen. Right. If God won't, we will. Right, right. <laughs> That's my wiring. Yeah. So I had to figure out how to stop. And I made Thursday a day off. Mm. And I had to learn to cease striving. In order to say, if this is your work and it depends on you, then in this day I'm going to demonstrate. That's awesome. It's your work and I depend on you. And right. I'm not going to work this next 24 hours. I'm going to pray. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, this is yours to carry. Right. You're the provider. Right. You're the church growth expert. You're the one who transforms lives. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. This is all on you. Right. It. it those little practical things that you're saying deeply spiritually true had to find a way to That's work right. into your life. Right. And it's usually through doing it poorly before we get to do it. Which I was well. really good at. Yes. Yeah. I'm yeah, good with the really poorly part. Yeah. The well part yeah. I'm still working. I had that down. Yeah. I still have a good bit of that. <laughs> so, so. so, all right. So we left the story though with 87 people struggle three and a half years in. Take me back to there. Is, is this just slugging it out in the trenches, growing a few people by a few people does there come where there is really a breakthrough? Is there an epiphany for the organization where where now you you know you really launch something that is exceptional and totally God ordained? Like it, we're still at that story. I know sure. where the story exists now. Sure, fill in some gaps for me. Yeah, uh, there was there was there was personal breakthrough spiritually with the Lord, and there was major breakthrough in the life of the church. The spiritual breakthrough with the Lord was three and a half years in, I decided to close the church. Internally, I was done. Marsha and I agreed. I said, I'm closing the church. I can't do this. I'm wired to grow things. And God, you put me in a place where it's not working. And after three and a half years, if all I can do is successfully reach less people, <laughs> for the love of God, help let me do something else. So my prayer was this, uh, change me or change the church. You wired me to lead and grow something for your kingdom. It's not. So change me so that I don't feel that drive or change the church so we actually reach people and accomplish the vision you put in us. Okay, so, so that was the lead prayer. Okay. The second piece of that was uh, what's needed for me to become that person that you could use. 
what, what's off, what's on. So I got 15 people to join with me in prayer every Wednesday night. We're in a jazzercise, man. I mean, this is, we're not, I, I look back and I wondered why anybody came. By the way, when I look back, I don't wonder why didn't it work. Right. I wonder why 82 people were showing up. I, I thought, man, when I look, oh God, how did anybody come? But anyhow, I, in that period of time, I got 15 people. They hung up, hung out with me every Wednesday night and we would walk around in this little jazzercise space that we could put a hundred chairs in. We didn't talk. We didn't even pray out loud together. I just said, I'm going to tr- put on worship music and I need an hour to pray. And I told the 15 people, I'm going to close the church. No kidding. Unless the spirit of God tells me I have to stay and I'd rather close the church. So that's how good a leader I am. Did you I put am. a time frame on that? You know, I didn't. I said, I just need to hear from the Lord. Okay. It might be five weeks. Okay. It might be 10 weeks. But I'm such a good leader, I bothered to tell the 15 most inside people of the church, I'm going to close it. So that, how inspired is that? That's going to help them just want to be in on this wow. thing. Yeah. No, I, I look back, I think, no, only God. Right. But God. So they, they would show up each week, and we would pray for about an hour. And in the midst of that, um, God said several of the things I've already mentioned. But one of the, probably the most noteworthy is that you really don't know how to pray in a way that you depend on me. You pray and then work like I might not work. But you don't work like you think I'm doing the work. And prayer is how a person demonstrates whether or not they really depend on God. Prayerlessness is the mark of independence. And if, these are the things I got from, if you work and then pray, you think your work makes the difference. Mm. And I just add to it. Did those 15 people receive similar messages? They, not that, I, I can't even tell you, I don't even okay. know. I just know they were supportive. And God said, if you'll pray on Saturday, I'll show up on Sunday. Mm. And that was the message I got. I'll bet you. I'll bet you he was doing something similar in their hearts. I, I, I have, have been, to believe he was. I've been amazed through the years that that when God places something that seems too grandiose in my own heart, I have been shocked through the years to mm-hmm. to, to have people step out of the woodwork and tell me the exact same message. We're we're, we're beginning to prep for a um, a special needs school here on here on the campus, and mm. I've been praying about that and. But lo and behold, there had been a number of other people, and then we just started getting cold calls out of the, out of the woodwork, like just people who didn't even know us who called and, and telling us exactly about this, this thing that the Lord was, really preparing their heart for in regard to us. It was wild, you know, to see. I'll bet you he was preparing their hearts as well. And so that that idea of really surrendering yourself to the Lord, you feel like that was the true catalyst for for being being ready to be this, the church that God wanted you guys to be. I think that's when I broke. Mm. I think that's when I quit asking God to work for me, mm. and I started working for God. I mm. think about three and a half years in, it became his church, and he was responsible for the results, and I worked for him. Is your bride telling you a similar story during that period of time? She is, thank God. She's a uh, more mature, stable right. Uh, person and personality. I'm the high-low guy, and she is the steady. Mm -hmm. And so through this whole thing, she just believed God was going to do something. Uh, 
she never used what I would have called failure mm. against me. And we struggled. Mm. I mean, we, we, we could have filed bankruptcy. Yeah. We, we lost our home. We lost everything. We lost our health insurance. We lost our home. She had to go back to work mm. uh, just to get us health insurance. I was doing side jobs that I just didn't want anybody to know. That, you mm. know I, I, I learned how to do tile work. I literally... <laughs> I went to a place people aren't familiar with. It's called Library, and went and got VHS tapes, <laughs> right. which nobody knows yeah, what I'm talking about. Anymore. And and I learned how to do tile work, and then I went and bid out and got tile jobs, and that's how we were living. And then she had to go back to teaching, and so, so we were doing all of this, and she was she was okay with it, yeah, she's okay. because she believed God was going to do something. So she's she's more that steady awesome. kind of person, uh, and I'm that up and down guy. So right. I'm you know up on the weekend and down during the week right. at the time. Now, when when do you get that first piece of land? Because I know that we've yeah. had we've had a, a, a you know you've told me that story. Is it right after this this kind of coming to Jesus literally, <laughs> uh, per, you know, conversation or or what? The the church began to grow following that commitment yeah, to work for him level of surrender and we would i would just tell everybody anybody who wants to gather for prayer i don't need you to in fact i didn't even make a big deal i just felt like i needed to so every saturday night i came to the jazzercise and spent an hour or so in prayer kind of put the teaching before the lord hmm. asked god to move among us um started habits of the week praying over the community wherever i drive and walk but every saturday night now just for the sake of uh, fact from that day to today i have never spoken at 12 stone on a sunday without being there at saturday prayer mm. ever we have flown back we have walked out of uh, our kids events sporting events uh weekend concerts that we were attending uh, i have never in over 30 years ever once missed a saturday prayer personally being present mm. because i'm is terrified a fair word can i use that word yes absolutely I, I'm, I'm terrified to do it on my own right uh, th so the church began to grow mm. and the, i can tell you the things we tried to do but i think something i, I don't think something changed in me that freed right. god up that's right like i was the barrier right. So right. the church started to grow. So we're 100, we're, we're 150. We go buy the first piece of land. We open the building. We move in with 150 to 180 people. We have 500 that day. So we had a, a major breakthrough. That was the sixth year of the church. So mm -hmm. it was the sixth year of the church that we broke into 200. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in that building for a few years and went to two, three services. And then the next piece of land is the one you're thinking of, that cool story of how God granted that to us. But from that point on, there was a progression of some kind of momentum into the life mm -hmm. of the community uh, that opened up doors for us to reach people. But I don't discount the formative and I don't discount the learning of how to be a pastor right. and how to care about people and how to do ministry smarter or learning the culture of the community or knowing the people we could best reach and create an environment where the congregation prayed, but they were also witnesses and teach them how to invite and how do you do a, a weekend service in a way that honors God and keeps him central, but at the same time can reach people who are far from Christ. So I'm not going to discount the value of all of that, but it was triggered in frankly, prayer. It begins with the epiphany of saying, how dare I enter the pulpit until I've spent time with my creator the mm -hmm. night before and really in humble prayer. 
And and from what I understand, that time in prayer, because you still do it, isn't it, it's not formulaic. It's not a service. It's really oh, no. and truly prayer. No, it's just yeah, it's just right? prayer. I mean, sometimes people say, "I'm going to a prayer meeting," and the only thing that didn't happen was prayer. Yeah, it's not you a pra- yeah, it's not a <laughs> prayer meeting. We don't talk about anything else. In fact, didn't really pray for other people. We didn't. I tell people, hey, if you come in here and you got things you need to pray for, that's fine. You can talk to God, but that's not why we're here. There is a purpose to this prayer, and this is surrendering the ministry of what God's invited us to mm. for the weekend over the lives of people in this community, over this church family. I mean, that's the key. That's it. I mean, just the the idea. So so rarely does anyone ever involve themselves in something that is bigger than them. It's too terrifying to do to do it. You know. And for, for a lay person, for somebody who isn't going to be the one behind the pulpit, but for them to be invited in mm-hmm. to say, we're only praying about tomorrow. Yes. We're praying about tomorrow morning when three or 400 people will enter this building and the Holy Spirit needs to show up if there's going to be anything productive that takes place. Remember that? Yeah, and we wow. walk, we walk the chairs. We awesome. still do. I still we do walk that chairs for chapel. and put yeah. hands over, you yeah. know, symbolically. And then I walk to the parking lot. Now, eventually, you know, you're too large a parking lot or whatever. Mm-hmm. And too, I get that. You don't cover every seat, et cetera, and then multi-campus. I get all that. But the spirit of it and the dependency of it and the practice of it remained. I couldn't right. physically walk every parking spot. But mm-hmm. but in back in the day at the Jazzercise we did, at the new building we did, mm-hmm. and at the next new building we did. So... It, to put in practice what we read in Scripture is more rare than we confess. Mm. We talk a whole lot of things about faith and dependence on God that we don't practice and right. we don't require of That's ourselves. Right. And I'm not even saying I'm the example. I'm just saying it, All of I'm us. humbly right. aware of how far I am mm-hmm. from being like Jesus walking with his heavenly Father. Right. The, the gap doesn't seem to get closer. The closer I get to him, the more I'm aware of the gap. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know, that's that's. Sometimes I can get discouraged in, in today's day and age when it feels like um, uh, so few people have actually a church background nowadays. Yes, where where yes. there are central ideas that you just assume people must know. You know, I was with a group of guys. And I, I know these guys actually, you know, attend church. One of them is fairly new at it. But I, I said, hey, would you mind reading this passage? And he said, Ephesians uh, 1, colon, 2, 2. You know, like, I mean, and I thought, wow, okay, hold on, stop. Like, you know, like, I had to really ponder this. Okay, we speak churchese so often, like, you know, this kind of Christian language. And I frankly love that about right now, this generation, we don't have that. So they can't bluff it. They can't, they can't fake it. Uh, and so often we're, we're, we're kind of overcoming those who can, who can fake it. And sincerity, this idea of true surrender is, is the key to unlock that. It's the key to, it's, it's the key to kind of getting, getting rid of that, you know? Um, okay. And and that's a beautiful innocence, right? Like like I want to be around that. Right. Just like I want to be around my kid and my grandkids. I mean, my grandkids, I got grandkids now, my grandkids, they're so beautiful and refreshing. Mm. Because there is an innocence. So every discovery is cool to them. That's awesome. And and they say all kinds of things wrong. Right. And then I realize, oh, I get to be a part of seeing them 
experience the breakthrough. Right. Ah, what a, and you what see a, the what a great thing. So even what you're that, describing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So this guy's right. having breakthroughs. You're like, right. oh man, I'm that's cool. During this, do you see anything that is miraculous, something that you can just kind of be wowed over that God really showed up for? I know we've talked about that, the land, that you know, how that transpired. Do you see God just show up in, a, in an absolute palatial way where you're, you're shocked at, 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 at how he shows up? Yes, and l- let me say this and then answer your question. Okay. I think when you read through Scripture, oh, do I say this this way? Yeah. We can almost be addicted to the wow of what mm, God can do. Okay. Okay. And then begin to require that as the only measurement of God right. moving. Because scripture is a series of highlights. This miracle, this miracle, this miracle, this miracle, this miracle, and it's skipping all the hours of the day. Right. All the hard work in that between. we're just walking with Jesus and conversation and consistency and then the only scriptures we want to highlight are when the church broke through and reached hundreds or thousands of people and never the persecution conversation Mm -hmm. where they were just as obedient right so so at risk of living on the mountaintop like i or we should always live on the mountaintop let's concede we don't Mm -hmm. but when he gives us the mountaintops it is so strengthening Mm -hmm. to believe him through difficult times Mm -hmm. So, yes, that land deal that you're referring to is one of our favorite kindnesses of God at a moment when we needed to see him mm-hmm. move. Now, I'll admit I've had many other moments sure. where I think I've needed to see him move, and he didn't in the way that I thought he 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 would, could, or should. Uh, but this one, we were in our space at the first property. We had filled it three times, three services, didn't know what to do next, didn't have any money felt like God had stirred me to go to this particular property out on Highway 20 in our territory. It's Highway 20, and, and that was a, a you know, divided highway kind of piece of land that would get greater attention and open the doors and, and reach more people. And, but I don't have any money, and I don't know who lives there. It's a, anyhow, this, this sense of I should honor him and take a risk. And so, so I end up just literally not knowing what else to do. I drove to that property, drove up to the little white house that clearly had been there forever. And I was going to knock on the door and try and get to know them. I didn't even know what I was going to say. Hello, my name is Kevin Myers. I pastor a <laughs> church called Crossroads, now 12 Stone. Crossroads, uh, would you like to give us your land for the kingdom of God? I don't know how dumb. I don't know, James, what am I going to say? Only when I got to the door did I realize this is so dumb that I literally turned around ran back to the car and got in the car hoping that nobody saw me, nobody heard me or anything. That's how, like, I, I had so much faith in my prayer closet, but by the time I got to the door, I was out. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm out of, I don't know what to do. Anyway, in the kindness of God, I ended up in a, at a golf course and, and, and with a couple of friends, and one of the guys literally owns that house. Hmm. Happens to be a, a rather wealthy individual. Hmm. Uh, is a follower of Christ, doesn't attend our church. And God began to build a relationship until wow. someday we were sitting at Dunkin' Donuts. I said, Get, Ed, can, uh, can, can, I, can I just sit down and have a conversation with you? His name Doug, Doug Edwards. He said, yeah, come on. I said, I'll buy some donuts here. 
God has stirred in me, and, and, I, and I think your land would be a great place for a church. And he just <laughs> he had that wide-eyed, like, kid, punk. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know what you're asking. <laughs> he said, you know, um, it might, but you couldn't afford it. And I said, oh, I, I wasn't offering to pay for it. <laughs> and the absurdity of my ask was captivating but highly dismissed and he was still such a kind gentleman and i said you know doug he's yeah we're not doing that he said that yeah i said all right fine i said but can can i have permission to walk on your land from time to time just as a place to pray and he said yes which was a mistake Mm. serious mistake on his part and for the next several months and he walked on his land and prayed. He came back to me, and at some point he said, you know what, I think this would be a great place for a church. And then he eventually said, you know what, I've settled on a price. Let me meet with your board. Wow. And I told the board, man, James, I, I don't even have to make this up. This is so fun. I told the board, God's going to give us that 13 acres. It's worth about a million dollars. It's rightly ro- located. I think he's going to give it to us. I think he's just going to flat out give it to us. And one of our board members, this is why everybody loves the story. One of our board members made this, which some people can see, and they, <laughs> which is toking marijuana, which we do not do. I mean, that's not like a practice at right, our church yes. or board at the time. But, but it really meant you're high. You're yeah. out of your mind. Right. God's not going to do this. Well, this is so fantastic because, of course, I'm not encouraged by that. And I'm like, well, he's going to give us a price, and it's going to cost a million dollars, and we won't be able to afford it, blah, blah. Guy shows up. And Doug sits among us, and he said, you know, I don't go to this church, but I see what God's doing. And I have felt stirred that God could use this church to reach the most people in this territory that have ever been reached by a local church. And I was so stirred. I think I'm supposed to give you the land. And he pulls out the deed. I can almost scream. He signs his name and he slides it over to me. He says, it's yours. And I looked around that room and we're all just in shock. And I went, yeah, now yeah. does anybody want what the pastor's smoking? <laughs> and I don't even have to make this up. I mean, it's like it all happened that way. And that's yeah. why the church loves the story. Because it points to something only God can do. Right. I don't think God does it that way all the time, man. No, I don't. He doesn't. But when he does... He's stirring us to believe, to trust, to risk, Mm -hmm. to reach, to lead the next thing he's inviting us to do. And we never could have done that without his miraculous hand. And and I I love your point of saying, hey, listen, we can't live thinking like we're going to skip from mountaintop to mountaintop. And, And I frankly, I actually actually kind of I really like your statement on that because I think a lot of people do have the misconception and maybe that that brings about some long-term disillusionment in their perspective however I, I can say in in my own ministry life I have certainly had and I, it's, it's not hundreds and hundreds but it's a handful of experiences that are just so bombastic so lunatic so out of anything that I could ever consider that that even in my even in my prideful state, which is all too often, it's too big for us to any of us to take credit for. That we have to look at it and say it's such a confirmation that God is still bigger 
He can still handle uh, the challenges. He is still the one who will drive our ministries. And that's, that's where I look. And, and so the challenge is, hey, we don't live from mountaintop to mountaintop. But when a mountaintop comes, for us to give glory to the one who made it. And that's, that's such a crucial part. And I know that that story has become kind of a, you know, it's, it's part of the lore of the, of the church. Yeah. But the lore is about trusting in God. You know, the lore is about the fact that he, if he wants something done, he'll show up even when it's nuts, you know? And, and you don't know the next story because it's not in any of my books and we don't talk about it. Nobody wants to hear the next story, the next piece of land. And the first time that most anybody ever heard it is a couple of months ago mm. when I told the next story. Because this is not, the next story is not the one, James, anybody wants to hear. Mm. So the, the, the story of lore, the story of making, man, you, know, you went with Pastor Smoke, man, right. that awesome, and that guy. And, and when he told us to go get the next piece of land, he didn't do that, James. I, I was convinced everything in me. Mm. He said, go buy the 70 acres next door. And I talked to the board, I'm like, we're all in. Because look at what God did. Right. And it had been and the next you know, one you're gonna a couple go years, buy and we're going to get it, but we're going to pray, and God's going to do a miracle, and they're going to give it to us also. Mm. Only this land is 1.8 million, 1.85 million. And, and somebody bought it recently, and I interrupted their process and said, man, God wants us to. Whoo. And this person decides that, that they're going to do the same thing, so they call, so yeah, we made a decision, we'll sell it to you. I'm like, it's going to be a Doug Edwards story. I'm telling the board. It is a repeat because this is what God does. So I'm all fired up. And we sit down with the new owner for the 70 acres. And she says, well, we settled on a price. I bought it for $1.85 million. I'll sell it to you for two point six. She didn't give it free. Mm-hmm. She didn't cut the price. She didn't even make it the same price. She increased it. By $750,000, which might as well have been a billion because mm-hmm. we had no money. We had just built on the previous land, the Edwards property. We're a couple million dollars in debt. And at that time, it, I, I could barely afford what we were doing. I was once again unraveled. I felt like back to where I was in the mm. jazzercise. Right. I had publicly committed to something because I thought God said yes. Right. I trusted him for another Doug Edwards property miracle. Right. So now I'm public. Mm-hmm. There's no backing off. Right. And instead of it being a miracle, it cost me more. Hmm. So then I thought the miracle would be in the giving. It wasn't. So we only raised enough, just enough to put down payment. So then I went and borrowed. And God will give the miracle when we borrow. And he didn't. Until eventually I had to go to our lender and say, I can only do interest-only payments for a while. Because I can't afford mm. the land. Mm. James, I don't tell that story. Right. No leader wants to hear that story. Right. Nobody right. wants me to go write that story. Right. I was back in the same place I was when the church was 82 people. Mm. I wept during the week. I bankrupted my life. Mm-hmm. I stuck a church with momentum. I must have misheard God. I led people into a level of financial debt and risk that was over my head. 
where are you? Why did I do this? Right. I got no way out. I was in the valley so fast again. I want to think, man, because of the last mountain, I'll travel through that valley with greater faith. I'll be a better leader because of the last mountain. Right. I was no better leader in that mountain. I was like a little boy who lost all his toys mm-hmm. and, and had no one to help. I, I am stunned by the speed at which my fear can own me in a valley, right. regardless how many mountains proceeded. We see, at least for me, and it sounds like it sounds like for you too, we go through the cyclical process of saying, like, it's all about God. And then when we get there, it's all about me. And then we and keep, I don't mean to. We keep going through that yeah. process. And, and I wish, boy, I would just wish I could learn it the first time, or frankly, even the 50th time. And yet I still have to get to 51, where, where I'm saying, I have to be reminded again, Lord, I'm sorry, that you have to remind me again that it's all about you. And I'm sure, James, there are better leaders. <laughs> I always feel like John Maxwell, who's a mentor and a friend, like, does, he probably never goes through any of this. Yeah. He's probably so far above I'm this. I'm sure he does. And he's always so positive and <laughs> affirming. And and we've become friends, you know, over recent years. It's gone deeper than than just mentoring. And and I know he does, but he doesn't hit valleys like I do. He 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 didn't have the same upbringing. He didn't come from certain places of brokenness, or he's not wired like me. Or my journey is different. It do, it, it it doesn't matter. He has more valleys than anybody will admit. But since we don't talk about these right. as leaders, right. since we tend to only uh, tell stories about when the land was given mm-hmm. as a gift, right. we like and then that everybody story. takes that story right. and they think that's normal. And then if I don't tell the story of the 70 acres, then the other leaders who are spiritually trying to go to places God's called them, whether you're in ministry or not, you think, well, well, my land deal didn't come through. Mm-hmm. Right, I, I must so have misheard God. I, yeah. I must not. I must be not as faithful as Kevin Myers because his right. So we got to tell both stories. Right. All I'm saying you is you got to tell. I don't want to. It's sit a great here. point. It yeah, really I don't want to sit here and just right. tell one story. Right, because it, it would yeah. be easier for us to keep this conversation pie in the sky and let's just skip from our mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, not recognizing this is not authentic. Right. In, it's not in, honest. In these last thirty years, most of it has been valleys, and some Honestly, of them have been yes. pretty crummy valleys. Yes. To tell you the truth, you that know? nobody really wants right. to hear. Right, but I come back to this idea: what keeps you going? It's mm-hmm. the call. It is it's, the call. It's knowing for sure that we have been called. Yes. And when you're called, you 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 can make it through the valleys. Frankly, here, here's probably the biggest lesson that's happening to me in my 50s is that I'm now finding for the first time in my life, and I'd love to tell you why I'm smarter or, or more godly than this saying this is my first time, I'm now finding joy in those valleys. Mm. I didn't used to find joy. It was begrudging tolerance, n- hoping for the next... I mean, maybe mountaintop or at least out of this part of the valley, you know, and yet now I'm, I'm enjoying the process. Even when things are rough, I'm trying, I'm trying hard to stop and look around. I was at, a, at an event the other day and uh, there were a bunch of kids there and it was a big festival thing with, the, the, with our, with our younger kids. And, and I found myself pondering, like, I've got about 114 things that I've got to get done today. And even in this event, I've got to make sure that this thing's done and this thing, and I've got to check. And I, I found myself just stopping to say, no, stop. Like, just stop, James. Look around. 
And when I looked around and being able to see these kids who are happy and to see the event taking place, to see the staff being faithful, like I just stopped around, stopped and said, yeah, this is the good stuff. Like, don't miss the good stuff because of your frenetic pace, thinking that you somehow have to get to the next thing. And, and that's where I'm trying hard to enjoy the valleys. I already know I enjoy the mountaintops. That, that's not too hard to sell. But I want to enjoy, like I want to take joy in, 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 those, in those spots that don't seem, you know, all that attractive. And yet, and yet God's there too. You know, I find it too, even in my devotional life. I'm, I'm going to mention this guy's Bible study on Friday mornings, which I just love. Mm. Uh, but challenging these guys, some of them, it's their first time really entering into God's word on a, on a regular basis. I said, listen, you're going to jump into God's word and there's going to be a couple of days when you literally just did it because you feel like you're supposed to do it. But if you don't do it the third day, something God will actually speak to you and he'll show you something amazing. But unless you're doing it through the valley, you don't get to this glimmer, this beautiful spot where you understand God in a new way, but you have to get through that spot, you know, which is, which is crucial. It's just such a huge part of it, you know. And aren't you surprised how long it has taken? Oh, my goodness. Because you read that in the Bible. Yeah. And so you can say you know that's true. Right, right. Because you make all kinds of impact on a mountaintop, right. but you get all kinds of intimacy in the valley. Yes. Yeah, and the joy is in both. Right, right. And so there's joy and impact. There's joy and intimacy, and you're still experiencing intimacy with God on a mountain, mm-hmm. and you're still making impact in a valley. Right. Both are true, but one seems to get the lead. Absolutely. And I am more tender in a valley. Mm-hmm. Right. I am more humble. Right. I and am more, more attentive. Right. I am more reliant. Right. And I do tend to get breakthroughs mm-hmm. in the valley. And I do have to find joy. Right. And joy is available. And his joy is the same. His. Mine isn't, but right. his is. Right. So finding that where you're describing it, mm-hmm. it's tough when you're a leader. It is. Because leaders were made for mountains. It is. Man, I'm made to yeah. go up a mountain, yeah. hit the top of the mountain. This is awesome. Yeah. Do we have another one? Right. And that's frankly why I think that that intimate relationship with God in the margins of my Bible has become more and more important mm-hmm. that when I'm in the valley, I can be honest with him. I can, I can lay out my fears, lay out my frustrations, sometimes even anger. God's not mad by that. He's not, he, he knows who I am. He, he knit me together. And so he knows my brokenness. He knows. And, and that's, that's a part where I've, I've, I have found that uh, not just encouraging, but confidence inducing where I say, I know he's with me, like I know he is. And, and that's, that, that's a kind of a beautiful part of the ministry, you know, of, of the call. All right, so uh, I, I, I would love to, like I could literally stay on this for, for several I told you, we, if alone. we go I sit know. down, we're going to sit down forever. <laughs> I mean, these poor people listening are like, are they done yet? <laughs> All right, so I've got to get to this. You started multi, multi-site campus churches really before most people were doing it. Um, Give us a snapshot, just if you don't mind, and I, I know that you're a humble guy, so I know that you, I, I don't mean for you to be braggadocious in this. I just say this so that the listeners can be able to understand. You're at how many campuses right now serving, yeah, you we're, know, ministering we, to how many people? Yeah, let me, let, I'll do a quick summary, and the, then that'll help. Uh, we we went from one location uh, in, let's see, was it 2008? We moved to the 70 acres. We went into multi-campus. Uh, we... Uh, got to fifteen to sixteen to seventeen thousand, give or take, on the weekend across all the campuses. Uh, so we're reaching thousands of people. 
larger staff, all, all the all the leadership stuff that goes that goes with all that, and all of those had a sequence of God leads and God prompts all along the way, and again, never changing the Saturday mm-hmm. prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, when I when I when I talk with leaders, or particularly spiritual leaders. Like I, there was a season of time where we would talk size, scope, numbers, expanse. I get that, and and that's important. Results matter in the mm-hmm. kingdom, and you're trying to and you're trying to reach people. But mostly, what you're trying to do is that's one. The one person matters to God. So we ended up reorienting the church to one matters, and, and we had to have that conversation for a good bit of time, mm-hmm. in order to be impressed with the power of God to change one life, one marriage, one student, one man, one woman, one 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 family. How does God do that? And then however many times he does it. So it's always always encouraging to see God do that multiple times, but it's never more than than that one being changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so even here, Hebrew Christian Academy, well we, well, we love this school. We appreciate this school. Jaden, our son graduated here. Um, you guys look at the whole when you evaluate the school. But as parents of Jaden, we look at Jaden. Yeah, that's right. And we say, we love this school. Why? Because of all of the things we can calculate of size and scope? Not really. Mm-hmm. Not really. Because we love Jaden. When we say we love this place, what we mean is, man, we love Jaden. That's right. And you guys did such a great job giving him a healthy environment and a solid a solid education. And and now he's in university and he realizes the gift this place was to him. So I, I'm not gonna discount the scope. Sure. But nor am I gonna minimize the one. And I think that's always got to be in the soul of a absolutely leader. that the blessing isn't in the group it isn't in the sheer numbers it's in the individuals god has who make an, up the group yeah he has an amazing capacity right what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced in the multi-site campus because that's a that's a very different style of leadership Oof. than than what you have going in one campus what are some of the biggest challenges you faced um first of all i didn't i i wasn't convinced it would work so we were on the early side when just a handful of churches right. were starting it right. and we were starting it. And I just could not believe that people would sit in a space, experience worship live and let the teaching be from one location videoed in. I'm like, I just don't think it'll work. I think they'll be disengaged. I don't think they'll respond. I'm a communicator who likes to get right. in. Like, I want you to respond. I want to talk to you. I want to look at you. I want to engage you. But if it would work and people could come to faith and God could transform a life, well, well, then we could help campus pastors, which is what it became, campus pastors, pour into the lives of people and not have to invest all their effort in teaching plus shepherding. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. So you got to go, well, why would you do this just to get bigger? No, well, well it's to reach more people, to see God transform their life. we got to get more in the kingdom. People are heading into a Christless eternity. Mm-hmm. So evangelism is everything. See them come to faith. Okay. But also the cost and the energy it takes, I know, to teach on a weekend and be invested in the lives of people. What if we could just have one person putting the majority of effort into teaching and several pastors putting the effort right. into the lives of people? Right. That was the motivation. How do I, can we 
impact the kingdom of God that way. Well, now, of course, you, you can figure out the challenges. The challenges are technological. The challenges are people making decisions that experientially can they go with it, but the culture eventually helps you catch up mm-hmm. until it's normal. But that was complicated. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to talk to the people in the room right. and the people on the other side of the camera. Right. Right. Oh, how do you do that and remain authentic? Oh, that was strange. I know now it's normal to people, but it was super strange. So do I look at the camera or do I look at the room? When I look at the room, I'm not attending to the people at the other camps. If I'm talking to people at the other camps, people in the room are like, hey, we're here. Right? Why be here? And then some people liked it and some people didn't like it. And so you got all of this fresh breakthrough, new thing happening with people deciding, do I like it or do mm-hmm. I not? So all of the undercurrent and the hallway conversation that goes, we, we didn't escape any of that. So I had to learn how to teach and lead different. Then we had to learn how to connect people to leadership that is more than just the one primary pastor. Mm-hmm. Now you have a campus pastor. Right. We have a leadership team. We have, so, so how do you protect the heart and the values of church while you reorient them to who invests in them and who is my pastor? And actually, the answer is we have pastors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so it's multiplied. Right. And then will they bring people? If they'll buy in, will they bring people? And then will people come to Christ? Can I make an invitation to Christ? Well, you over time, you get the answer. Well, yes, sure. yes, and yes. But right. was it complicated? Sure, it was. Right. You want another weird one? When, when you invite people to invest in the kingdom, whether it's time, energy, effort, particularly resources, how do you go physically build another campus that takes two or three campuses to sacrifice financially for a campus they'll never attend? That was weird. Yeah. They're like, what are we doing again? Well, somebody helped build this one. We're going to go open that one. Well, there, you know, things you'll do for your own gospel, kids versus yeah, sure. you'll do for somebody else's kids. Right. I mean, I'll sacrifice for my kid. Right. But my good, I'll, I'll pay my own kids. Mm-hmm way but am i going to pay somebody else's kids way see that's a whole nother right. so so there are those leadership challenges and of course layers of leadership and right. unity toward the same goal and then maintaining a culture that god has called us to uniquely as a church and retaining that and we're a relational informal uh we don't take ourselves seriously but we take god seriously uh we all of this kind of stuff we want to see transfer into just the culture of the church and the life of community mm-hmm. but here's what we knew if we could bring the church closer to your neighbors, you would more naturally invite them. Absolutely. If they'd be five, right. ten minutes away, right. they're have, more likely right. to come. You have to be geographically tied. Yeah. So all of that is just kind of the motivation to go after it, but then the complexity when you get there. And and you guys have how many campuses right now? Eight. Eight. Yeah. yeah. Eight. And you're serving how many fan, how many people um, on average? Well, uh, post COVID changed. A lot. Oh yeah. Can we get in the? Can we? Yeah. yeah. If we got in the COVID conversation, uh, that's a whole different conversation. Everybody always qualifies that we're pre-COVID numbers. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you're like, well, why do you have to have that conversation? I don't know, because it got created for us. Right. So where we'd have fifteen thousand before, we'll have ten thousand now. Whereas we had thirty-three thousand, thirty-five hundred that would be online church before COVID. uh, We'll have twenty, thirty, forty thousand. Right. That are that are online. Whereas before COVID, we didn't have what we called 12 stone home. Right. So now we have 12 stone home, which is really a church in your living room, intentional with a group of people led by a lay person who engages the teaching, mm-hmm. but it's actually your small group church experience where you do worship and, and, 
and ministry and, and, and impact, and you're doing community right there. And we got about 30 groups nationally right now in, and you had, in eight and different states. And what I love is you started that before COVID. No. I mean, the idea, but did no. that take place beforehand? No. Oh, I thought All that did. came out of COVID. It did, so it was entirely as a result of COVID. We literally were at locations, physical locations, church, and we didn't give any energy to our online. Mm. In fact, there... I don't even, I don't, the podcast isn't a place to, to vent this or, or, but I don't even love what online does. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm like, I don't think church works online. So I'm, part of me is frustrated. I don't think that should be the end of your church experience. I don't think people should be like, oh, I'm online and I listen to this at my convenience right. and now that's my church. Right. There's a lot of me as a pastor that does not love that and, and I'm not committed to building that as primary. But what do you do in a world that goes into pandemic, shuts stuff down? And then when you re, open quickly, which we did fairly quickly, but mm-hmm. people are all wrapped up in, will you wear a mask, not wear a mask, mm-hmm. and are mm-hmm. you loving your neighbor if you open, are you loving your neighbor if you don't? So anyhow, all of that. We said, well, then what is the opportunity in this? You know, where's the kingdom opportunity? Mm. What could we do in this transition that might open the door? And you've been able to tap an international market. We because have. of the launching of a COVID strategy. We have. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. I don't even know where it ends because we're transitioning the church. Yeah. So I'm in a succession plan because I'm old. Right, right. So I'm in a succession <laughs> plan, handing it off to another generation. Right. And the next senior pastor, uh, Jason Barry, is 40. And the, the, the next key team around him, they're all between 35 and 40. Well, what's that going to look like? And they're reimagining, mm-hmm. so to speak, right. what does church look like? in the next five to 10 years. And James, I don't know. Right. I, I, I don't right. know. I, I, you know, the, the piece of that that I think is great is that in the home setting, when you're doing, when you're doing a home church, you're still building community. Mm-hmm. What's the end result of that? Is that brick and mortar church? I don't think church has to look that, that way, but I think community is essential. I think when somebody is alone watching it online, you unless there is a, very specific way to also dive into community you're missing out on a huge component of what church life it's a major breakdown yeah if we if you don't get in community what's interesting is there are literally people again back to the i don't even know who's gonna you i hope i don't know if i want any of the people who are in my world listening (laughs) so that they hear what i really think if all you do is listen online, I think you're missing the biblical design for church, period. Right. That's right. just a fact. Right. But some are listening online, right. and then they're in community during the week. I don't know. you know, They're in small group, et cetera. Right. Okay, great. And if you go make an impact uh, in the lives of other people, I, I, think, I think that matters. Worship, community, impact. Mm-hmm. So we would say worship, community, impact are part of the core of what it means and to be a part of something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. But is it possible we're a, if you want to call it a megachurch, or a mega church who's putting all this effort that translates into digital church could then leverage that to be an open door to people who aren't seeking. I, and I think that's so brilliant. you get tens of thousands right. listening, right? And invite them into an experience where they do home church, which I don't think America was committed to or capable of in a large, right. meaningful way. And I don't think we've decoded it yet. We certainly haven't, mm-hmm. but we're on our way. Is it the future of part of how Christendom advances? 
well, I think we're experiencing enough anti-Christian mm-hmm. um, views in the country. Sure. I think it's negative enough, polarized enough. I think it's anti-large enough in the general. I think mistrust of institutions from government to uh, business to education to church, anything institutionalized kind of has a negative with a rising generation. I think that's generally mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe this is part of the future. I, that, that small home church setting you know, if we just take the story that you've been telling here for the last little bit with us, that little home church setting looks a whole lot like Kevin Myers and his bride and a few handful of people who moved down from Michigan and are in someone's living room for a time until they rent a, a small movie theater. It does. And there's something beautiful about that, being in, in a small setting, being in an intimate community. Um, and I think there's a, there's a lot of good that can be done there. So I, I'm super intrigued by it. I've, I've, I've certainly learned in life, I'm, I'm not going to say, and this is how it should be. I know that even in the school setting, there there were so many schools who, well, when COVID hit and they launched online, so many schools said, wow, this is the smartest thing ever. We're going to do this from now on. You know, this is going to be, a, and, and they miss the fact that a kid studying at home alone on his computer is missing out on some of the most important elements of school, school is still rubbing shoulders with other kids and having somebody say something unkind to you and still understanding how to digest that. It's still that idea of being involved in other activities. It's that idea of community. And that's right. I actually actually love the idea of the small, the small home church that you guys are working on. I'm still not sold, not just with 12 Stone. I mean, at large, whether it's education or whether it's church format, Watching alone from a computer, you're sold. missing. Yeah, you're yeah. missing out on community. I'm not, and that's sold. a central aspect of what Jesus, what Jesus designed. You know, as the church. But so that's do, intriguing. But how do we? And part of why I, I'll just say I'll leave that to the next generation. Right, how, right, how does right. that get solved? Because you can't say it doesn't matter that they watch. Right. Because that might be the pre-evangelistic awakening. Absolutely. That might be right. the point at which the Holy Spirit awakens. Right. But if that is the end, I think we're in trouble. Right. I don't think we are. I know we're in right. trouble because that's not church. Right. It's just not. Right. That cannot be the end. But that may be a path. Mm-hmm. And what I do love about it is when you're traveling, if you're connected to a church and in communities, you're in a local church, mm-hmm. you're either live or 12-stone home, and you're traveling because the world is more mobile than it's ever been. Right. You can be engaged in what God is teaching and doing in the life of the church through that online teaching. That's powerful. But that's additive, not the essence. That supports what we're doing. That's right. So we know for some, it is the pre-evangelistic open door. Right. We know for others, it is the sustaining support to a highly mobile society. In all those ways, it's valuable. Right. But it sort of terrifies me. Yeah, that that could become the end for people. Right. Of if what the solo means. engagement remains solo engagement, you're going to yeah, miss out on it. But if I the solo so. engagement leads you to something more, yes, even if it's a small community, perhaps it's a brick yes. and mortar church. But I think it needs to lead you. Now, let, we've got we've got to hit on this idea of this of this kind of mantle pass that you've referenced huh. already. Uh, so tell tell me what that looks like, because frankly, I I absolutely love it. First of all, because I think a lot of organizations they end up uh, never seeing the anything like what it was underneath the founder, underneath it, what it was under that that program. So it, it takes the idea of casting out your own pride 
and allowing a mantle pass to take place where you are surrendering a part of your soul almost because you've invested your whole life into this. Uh, what does that look like for you? So you've got Jason Barry, who's yes. who's who's jumping in as a co-senior pastor right now. Is that what you guys call it? We call him co-senior pastor. We did that a year ago, and then by midway into the year, uh, when it was obvious to everyone else mm-hmm. that he's more than capable, right? Uh, I made it clear that he's the future senior pastor, right? And then more recently, I've indicated that that transition is coming this summer. Okay. So it I actually didn't every, know that. Yeah. Wow. So every stage as as people are um able to get more detail, uh we're putting it out there. Okay. But the transition has to happen in me. Sure. He can't grab it, I have to give it. That's right. And that's really important. Right. And so I was convinced that when I became an empty nester, which was when my son Jane graduated mm-hmm. here that the church, this is not for every church. I'm going to say for us. For us, I was convinced that the church should be led by someone who's raising a family. Because the way you spiritually lead is out of the circumstance of your life. And if we're going to be a church that sees God transform souls, families, and communities, and families is a big part of it, then I know that while my influence is increasing, my relevance is decreasing. And I got to own that. Mm. And what a lot of people do who are leaders is they figure out how to become more relevant to a rising generation. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea. What I'm saying is this. I know best how to reach my generation. About 10 years ahead of me, 10 years behind me. I know best how to do that. But I don't know how to reach Jason's generation. He just turned 40 Mm -hmm. last year. I don't don't know. They don't identify with me. The words I use, the culture I'm sure. in, the bents, yeah. the, the different cultural experience. Just, it's yeah. just it, it's notably different. In that transition process, do you come to the point like like is it where Kevin Myers just fades into the workplace? Oh is no! It, I mean, no. what does that look like? No, we got to do better than that. <laughs> Church is not a business. Church is biblically, principally idealistic, based on the teachings of Christ, and it's not a business I sell. It's a kingdom work I hand off. Okay. And because of that, I can transition it. If I'll humble myself, I can transition it completely different than business. Mm-hmm. Business, CEO, owner, whomever, sells it, takes the assets, goes and lives off it, and walks away. And somebody else starts over. Fair enough. But in the kingdom, since nobody owns it, and it is a trust, then we practice what we call MVS, Mutual Voluntary Submission. And the operation of the work of the kingdom is that it is owned by Christ and we serve him. Mm-hmm. So there is no CEO. So I get to pick the next guy and the elders confirm and the congregation buys in or not. Mm-hmm. And when they do, I'm going to move to founding pastor this summer. I'm going to, for all practical purposes, work for Jason. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help my generation, 55 plus. Here's how I say it to him. You can't let the years of your greatest option and the last years of your life in this fourth quarter of life be your least kingdom impact. Mm. This 
55-plus or empty nester season of life can become the most selfish, broken, undoing season of life. And the church desires to be young so desperately to be culturally relevant that we're failing to lead the last generation. Well, I'll take care of that. Marsha and I are old. I mean, I'm in my 60s. Mm-hmm. Maybe 62 on a hand off the church. But I'm not leaving. I'm not walking away and I'm not disconnecting. I'm going to model mutual voluntary submission. I'm all in for the church. I'm going to teach once every 8, 10, 12, 15 times. This is all contracted, agreed mm-hmm. with him mm-hmm. uh, at his pleasure. I told him I'll take all the Sundays he doesn't want to do. I'll do the holidays. I don't care. <laughs> I've done this for 30-some years. I'm right. happy to, to make the right. exchange. I'm going to give leadership with the team to the 55-plus, and I'm going to stay at the board level and chair the board for the next three years. It's like, oh, you should never do that. No, I'm helping transition right. elders to the ones that would be his generation. Right. We're going to transfer leadership. We're going to train. We're going to hand it off so that over the next three years as founding pastor— we have been present, fully invested, because the vision of the church that Christ has for us has not changed. Maybe some methodology does. Sure. Maybe it adjusts for the next generation. But we're going to demonstrate that the church can do what the world cannot, mm-hmm. because all along we've been serving Christ. The biggest obstacle to that for every organization is pride. It's, it's being able to push our own pride aside. Because you, you are a visionary by nature. Yep. You are a visionary like you breathe, right? Yes. And so how do you, you know... How do you turn that off? Like, how do you how do you say well, let me now give, you get to cast? Yeah, well, the let me give you a picture. Yeah, I have four children. Two of them are married. I have five grandchildren. I don't want to be a parent anymore. Okay, I don't I want like more kids. That comparison. That's a great. I want comparison. more grandkids. And if they're my kids, I have to raise them. If they're grandkids, I get to have fun with them. That's great. I get I get to pour into them without disciplining them. Okay. Do you know how much fun that is? That is so <laughs> utterly up, fantastic. That's right. You know what the church hasn't figured out how to do well? I'm, I'm overstating it to make a point. You know, it's a the church. I don't know what. Right, right, right. But we don't know how to be spiritual grandparents. Grandparents let the grandkids pick the movie, but they pay for it. Mm-hmm. There is a role of spiritual grandparenting that the church needs to win afresh. Statistically, it's said that 10,000 people a day in America, 10,000 a day, this is a stat I read, 10,000 a day will retire every day for the next 10 to 15 years. That is a spiritual harvest. You know their next stop? I know what it is. Their funeral. That's their next major stop. You can't live that purposely. We can't, purposeless. We can't, we can't care less about their eternity If they said in their 20s or 30s or 40s, hey, I got time. Guess what? Not a lot now. Mm. How do we go reach them? But then in a church that's used to me being the primary leader, I become founding pastor because that recognizes the place. But my primary job is to give room for the next generation. And their primary job is to give respect to the preceding. Mm. I give room. They They give give respect. respect. And now Jason is the visionary for that and component. Jason is, now yep. you get to fire up your imagination on how to engage 55-plusers who, yes. who have the most experience and yet are the fastest to bail because they've got a few more bucks in their pocket in a lake house and a boat. And, and what a poor right. decision. Right. If you have followed Christ through the season of your children growing up, what are you about to model to the kingdom? Right. Yes, go enjoy the 
Sure. Lake House. Absolutely. Yes, go have right. fun. Yes, enjoy the freedom. It doesn't look like it did right. when you were under 55. Or pre- However, you have to be fully invested in the kingdom. Right. It can't be absent from God. And right. the decisions for direction get made by the younger generation. That's right. The 40 and under are going to lead the church. My job is to mentor them, pour into them with timeless principles, pray for them, support them, undergird them, pass along experience if it's helpful. But the decisions are his. And the decisions is that generation. And we're not going to have a church that's for either old people or young people. We're going to have one multi-generational church where we understand spiritual grandparenting. Mm-hmm. Let's the rising generation be the next anew of what God is doing. And we're all in on it. And then whatever uniqueness I have to help build in, we build in. That's exciting. This if seems If you aren't already, right. you're going to have to write about this. This seems right to yeah. me. So yeah. what do I have to do? You've already said it. Just as I had to die in the planting of the church for it to be God's church, right. I have to die again. Yeah. I can't find my identity in the church. Right. I can't find my identity in my position. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to forfeit leadership influence. I'm going to leverage leadership influence sure. for the next generation. That's right. I'm not giving it up. I'm leveraging it. And I'm going to die to myself, which is more painful than I'll say on this mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Self-death is an incredibly difficult thing. And the job of every leader, but particularly spiritual leader, is to die to yourself in private so God can use you in the lives of others. Mm-hmm. It is your Philippians too. Right. So I don't have to die to ambition. I have to die to selfish ambition. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. Point. And then be about others. That is awesome. I will be so intrigued to watch this me too because <laughs> <laughs> i've never done it i've I just, never been old before <laughs> you know i i just i know at some point in time i mean i'm i'm just so hungry still you know that i just i i want to see the, the 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 mission the vision yes i want to see it expand and so i really i just got to tell you i mean i have been so fascinated to hear about it knowing you on a personal level i know you come at it with a humility that is wonderful uh, and and I and you have surrounded yourself with incredibly talented guys. Uh, it'll just be f- so fun to see how God can work. It'll be end up being a real testimony to churches across America because it it really will become that that transition that mantle pass example uh, of how things can be. And yet it's not. Hey, I'm cashing in my chips and going golfing. It's it's it is the idea of still go golfing, but but keep serving the Lord. Too, yes, you know which is which is which is such a crucial component. So. Kevin, it has been such a pleasure to have you on this show. I frankly could do another three more with you right now, uh, but it has been such a pleasure. You are you are a, a, a great friend to have and and such a testimony to me too. I, I just appreciate it so much. Thank you for coming on the show today. Well, mutual love to you, mutual respect for all God's asked you to do, and uh, to anyone else listening, we all got something to learn from from somebody else. And so, what you're doing for this academy and for other people and bring people on the podcast. I just all applause. So thanks for the invitation. Thanks, Quite an brother. honor. Thanks, right. brother. Appreciate you. We have been overwhelmed with the glowing response to season one of the Joy of Leadership podcast. Thank you to our faithful listeners for tuning in every week. And thank you for telling your friends. And thank you even more for liking us on YouTube or wherever you receive your podcasts. While we are blessed to have faithful listeners in every section of the U.S., our biggest cities being Atlanta, New York, Seattle, and even Wichita, Kansas, 
we have been surprised by the global impact of the podcast. We are literally reaching thousands around the world with faithful weekly listeners in Canada, Kenya, the Netherlands, and even Sri Lanka. We are humbled by God's favor on our program as we encourage others to keep Christ in the center. If you know someone who boldly lives at the intersection of vocational success and spiritual courage, email us at thejoyofleadership at gmail.com. Thank you for being a faithful member of the Joy of Leadership podcast family.